On this week's episode, I was privileged to grab a post-call coffee and spend some time chatting with Dr. Rob Kieser at Father Coffee in Cranmerville. Dr. Rob is well-known and well-loved on social media platforms such as Instagram for his witty and fresh take on all things from coffee to studying medicine to having too many Woolworths shopping bags. He has also previously been quite vocal about his support for completing ComServe in rural districts, adopting the right attitude to your junior doctor years, and not being pressured into specializing, leading some to even label him the anti-specialist. Besides being able to share from his experiences in internship and ComServe, I thought he would be a great guest on the podcast to present a fresh take on having a life and career outside of specializing in medicine, and to share what life is like outside of that career trajectory. You can follow Dr. Rob Kieser on Instagram on at Rob Kieser, if you don't already, that is. And without further ado, here is Dr. Rob Kieser. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast, Dr. Rob Kieser. Thanks uh, so much. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Um, great to chat a bit and uh, yeah, just share some things. And great to share some nice coffee. We're here at Father Coffee in Cromerville, a wonderful space with a good industrial look. Uh, thanks so much for making time on a Saturday morning yeah. to just answer some questions. And I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on a number of things. Right off the bat, what I always do with all our guests is I mm. ask you about where you did your training in medicine and where you did your junior doctor type, so your internship and commserve. So mm. let's begin with it. Fantastic, yeah. So uh, I trained in, in Pretoria, uh, the University of Pretoria, so did my, my undergrad over there. Um, it, was a, it was a good six years. It was a good six years, um, and that was sort of my starting point. From there, we moved through to Johannesburg. Uh, Joe Rook was then for internship, where I did my two years at Barra. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure how much exactly to delve into that because I think that's an hour of conversation on its own, but I'll let you leave there. <laughs> um, and then after Barra, we decided to go completely off the grid and we went to rural free state, but like deep rural free state, southern border of the free state, a uh, little district hospital called Embequeni. And we did our year there. And then since then, we've walked an interesting path as well, uh, a bit of an unconventional path. And uh, yeah, we found our way back up to Gauteng, uh, got married, and then uh, have done a combination of private work as well as moving back into state. Well, when I say we, me and my wife. I was about to say, yeah. before we diagnose you with yeah. personality <laughs> disorder, you keep on saying yeah. we, we, we. Yeah, I, I so think I mean, that you met your wife during medical school. Absolutely, yeah. So we uh, we were familiar since first year, good good friends since first year. Um, so there was a nice casual foundation there. Um, got to know each other well over the four years that we studied together. And then uh, in fourth year, um, we started dating. Who made the first move? <laughs> I think it was probably me. I think it was probably me. Um, not always well reciprocated. Um, but, you know, I, I was persistent so <laughs> we got there in the end um, yeah so whenever I say we are it's just natural for me to refer to us as a family unit uh, and and that's why I say we a lot a lot of the planning that went into internship and comserve selections and all of that you know also mm. centered around um, us two being able to work together so Barrow was your first choice yeah so so it's a good question we we had to be quite strategic uh, you know when we approached the end of sixth year uh, medicine, you know, a lot of talk is happening around planning for internship and what your options are and, and also around that conversation is the lack of guarantee that you have. Mm. So we, number one, heard good things about Barra. Obviously, it's dependent on who you speak to. Yes. But we, we did a lot of digging around, speaking to people who are currently there or and, who and were currently been there. from Pretoria uh, or from UP, yeah. had you had any exposure of actual clinical experience at Barrow or was it all, like you say, from people mm. telling mm. you what it is? So it's, it's, it's a really good question. So none at all. Barrow was this very abstract concept. And, and more often than not, it's portrayed in a negative light. So there's often a bit of apprehension when you hear about Barrow. So the only exposure we got as, as students in our undergrad was Califong, Steve Biko, um, you know, the CHCs at, at Mamelodi, um, very much Pretoria yes. hospitals and, and clinics. Um, and, and that's why we were so intentional about reaching out to people who worked at Barra or who were there currently yes. to see what is it like right now. I mean, it's, it's useless to ask someone what's a, what's a hospital like if they haven't been there within a year of you asking them. 
because things change so much. Yeah. Um, so that's so, very good. So that's yeah. the advice you should have for this year's uh, graduating class. Is yeah, I've got lots of advice. <laughs> I've got lots of advice for okay. them. Well, we'll dig into it as much as we can yeah. in the short time that we have. So, yeah. so okay. So Barrow for internship. Yeah. You mentioned a place that I can't even pronounce for for concert. Yeah, Embukwini. Embukwini. And where where in South Africa is that? So if you if you take the map of South Africa, you've got Free State, and then the southern border of the Free State, where I think it it inter what at um, uh, borders with Eastern Cape, mm -hmm. is is like Sarip Dam area. Yes, exactly there. Okay. Exactly there. Kharip is one of the places we went to to go bry, for oh, example, okay. on a weekend. Sure. Yeah. So it's exactly that district, um, and uh, it's in a little town called Zastron. Okay. And the hospital, like we said, nice called Embukwini. Very small. Mm, I can't remember the exact amount of beds. I think we were like 40 beds, 40 wow. odd beds. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than that if we stretched our capacity. Wow. Um, very much a district level hospital, but because of the lack of other um, hospitals in the area, we often had to deal with emergencies that should have probably been treated at a higher a higher level facility but of course those higher facilities are 300 k's away so precisely so yeah. you're looking at you're looking at a minimum of two and a half hours away to sure. to get to um Pelinomi, which was our which was our main referral center and and i mean the big challenge was obstetrics that was it was sure. a massive challenge because you've got your high-risk obstetric patients um who can't always get to the hospital in time when they complicate and when you have prem births uh, and prem complications um, getting those to the hospital is such a challenge because you'll have issues like the, the helipad doesn't have landing lights so they can't land at night right yeah. so now you've got to keep the baby alive until the wow. next day okay so you you're frantic <laughs> to, to to manage the level of case that you're dealing with there um especially and, as a mo like you've fresh out of internship and you've done internship at barrow where there's yeah. all this amazing facilities and support yes. and senior support yes as, as much as people want to complain about Barra, the one consistent thing there is, there is always a senior. I mean, we, we can have a separate conversation about what the senior support is like, but there is always a senior that you can ask for advice, who can give advice. Yeah. Once you're gone and, and you're in the sticks, it's you. It's Was it something you. you thought of before choosing that? For yes, concert? definitely. Because, because Barra is, even though you're, you're, you're working incredibly hard, you're still relatively sheltered in terms of responsibility and personal volition because you've got such a structured hierarchy over there, right? So whenever you're managing a patient, you have the option to always go to your regular consultant for further advice, and they will generally see the patients with you as well, depending on what rotation you're in. We wanted to develop independent decision-making. and oh, that, was, that was in your arc. You were like, this is what we yes, need to get yes. to. You're not going to stand on your own two feet unless you put yourself in an environment where... There's no one else to tell you what to do. And you need to think now what is in the best interest of this patient. I mean, obviously, you're not all knowing and you're going to phone out for, um, you know, advice and management plans and so on. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was us. And that really factored into us picking Embukwini because it, it was a ComServe-run hospital. Were there any other hospitals that you knew of that would offer a similar kind of experience? Because following this podcast, I can imagine there's going to be 200 people all putting Embukwini down. Right, right. Um, so, so what other hospitals were on your radar for a similar kind yeah, of experience? I mean, to be completely honest with you, I've, I've forgotten a lot of our other options. Um, okay. I, I actually, it, it, it was a while ago, to okay. be honest. <laughs> no no <laughs> and, worries. And I, I mean, there are people that actually uh, keep lists and keep it like uh, in, their, in their sort of, subconscious but sure. I, I can't really remember but we were going for that type of hospital yes. and and I mean Embukwini certainly isn't the only one like that okay. um, I mean you've got you've got loads of district level hospitals um, which so a follow up question to that mm -hmm. is are there any uh, of your colleagues from that time yeah. when you were doing your comms over there at Embukwini who have then found reg posts um, uh, since then and mm. and do you think that having done that district experience in any way affected their chances of getting red yeah, posters definitely. like favorably or unfavorably no so so i mean we've got to we've got to be like very open about this and how the system works okay part of part of you getting a red post is is your personal excellence and you know what you bring to the table and your skill set and your knowledge and part of it is your uh, networking networking is incredibly important to get a specialist post and right now in you know in the environment we're in now with with just the absolute scarcity in posts that they are networking is i would say as important 
um, as what you bring to the table in terms of your personal skill set. So to get back to what you asked, yes. um, you are disadvantaged to some extent by working in a district hospital. But, but you mustn't let that now completely like you know, influence your decision-making process regarding ComServe. But, but to an extent, your chances are diminished versus someone that was working in an academic hospital where those specialities are present because they've already become familiar with the department, with the sure. people in the department, with the consultants. They're already on that department's radar for that whole ComServe year yes. because they're already expressing interest, yes. right? So, so they're already there. And if you come from district, um, there are certain sort of uh, things that count against you. So you haven't had the academic teaching in rounds every morning, you know, especially if it's a ComServe run hospital. Sure. Um, you haven't had that regular exposure to, to very specific fields because at, at Embukwini we were, we were running. Yes, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing You're doing, I mean, it was so random. You're running the ED. Um, you, we, we, we made a roster where we rotated through wards just so we had some semblance of, you know, order. So sure. um, like... Uh, Stefan would do males, um, I would do females, someone would be doing obstetrics, someone would be doing pediatrics, just so that you, for those two months, have an area of focus and can sort of teach yourself um, and learn in those two months. But, but you're a jack of all trades, as you said. And the seniors in the uh, more tertiary facilities and the places where you do apply to specialize regard this as, I, would, I don't want to say detrimental. Detrimental is a strong word. But, but they do see it as, as a drawback that because you haven't had teaching. at a specialist thing and they say, okay, yes, you did a little bit of, let's say we're talking about obstetrics. Mm -hmm. Yes, you dabbled in obstetrics, mm -hmm. but you only did two days a week according to your roster yep. instead of doing a full six months yes. in OBS. And, and, and a full supervised six months because mm -hmm. we, we were not supervised, you know. Sure. Um, but, but that's the point of ComServe. I mean, if we go back to, to brass tacks and look at what the point is of what the government needs from you, okay? Because this is government service, okay? You, you, you're, you're, you're there to serve the government, okay? Um, internship is for your training and your development. Mm. And that's why the hospitals available for internship are, you know, para and all of these tertiary facilities with Places lots with of teaching. Yeah. Right. ComServe, you're supposed to be out there. You're supposed to go out there and you're supposed to take the knowledge you're that you gained. Yeah. yeah, and you're supposed to give back, you know, and you, you need to be... One thing that people forget is you need to be competent at the end of internship. After internship, yeah. you need to be self-sufficient and well-functioning um, and well-rounded. So, so it's imperative that your mindset during internship as well is let me gain as much as possible. Correct. In terms of, you know, skill set, in terms of academic knowledge, but also like relational, you know, um, you know, EQ. Yes. That all of that is sort of well-rounded. Professionalism mm. and punctuality. And that, that all of that is well-rounded by the time that you're done with those two years so that whatever happens in ComServe, you have a degree of confidence to step into that new facility and be like, cool, I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay because I've, I've done my time, you know. It's challenging, um, but the wonderful blessing of internship is that you know it's two years yeah and it's a structured like you said structured supervised yeah um and there will be bad days along the way it'll be it'll be terrible days awful <laughs> <laughs> days but as long as we you know chasing progress and not perfection yes um then, then by the time we actually get to that mp number and we're now working community service 100 uh, we're on the right path yeah. so okay so you did internship did community service yeah what, what then? Because, mm. you know, we've got three years working in yeah. the government sector and yeah. then there's many people who find themselves unemployed at the end of that. Yes. So what did you guys do? Right. So, so we, we intentionally uh, decided to be unemployed after, after ComServe. You know, the narrative is always um, internship, ComServe, and then jump straight into a speciality. And, and a lot of people place so much pressure on themselves that, you know, they have to identify that specialist field and the plan needs to be in place. And at the end of ComServe, you need to move right into that MO post, uh, become a reg, you know, and then, you know, chart your way up. Did you feel that pressure or no. did you intentionally reject that? I, I, I was aware of, of what uh, the medical fraternity does and what the generally followed route is. But, but part of me just kicked against that because you need to be able to make decisions about what's important to you. And I mean, 
each for each person that's different. Okay. Was there anyone in your in your world who was like, Rob, this is a bad idea? They were trying to talk you into a special a speciality. I think I think when people disagree with me, they often don't say they do because <laughs> they know that I, I I probably won't take it from them. Um, I don't think I always uh, am the most easy individual to disagree with. So I think while a lot of people might have had that advice from me, they probably wouldn't tell me because my mind was made up already. Okay. Um, you know, it's things that you work on. <laughs> I think on social media as well, like some of the stuff that I post is, is sometimes very controversial and people end up disagreeing, but they don't engage, which is sad because, you know, engagement is fun. Do you ever try to poke the bear? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, some, some posts are, are absolutely there just to sort of antagonize and, and you know, get a response. And then sometimes it does. Um, there are a few people on my feed who are like headstrong and will call me out and message me and say, look, you know, why are you saying X, Y, and Z? What about this and this and this? Then I'll be like, oh, that's a great point. Yeah. So it ends up being a great conversation yeah. and I enjoy that. Yeah. But um, I think people are sometimes just scared to, to call out. Anyway, so uh, that's an aside. <laughs> um, so, so with ComServe, um, you know, we, we decided what was important to us. And when I say we again, me and Amy, um, my now wife, uh, decided that we wanted time off. The big, the big priority at that stage was rest because you've been working for three years consecutively. Because you had done Barra. Yes. And then uh, District Hospital, where yeah. you, again, you did everything. Yeah. Uh, I think you earned your rest. So, so, I mean, with that being said, whether it was at Barra or anywhere else, after, after internship and comms of you as a doctor in South Africa are going to be tired. You're, sure. going to need, you're going to need a break, okay? Some people don't take the break. We said, we need a break. The break is the priority and we're taking the break. So we, and when was this now? This was the this was 2020 2020. So we finished Comsov in 2019, okay. Oh, okay. and then and then beginning of 2020 we didn't sign any new contracts. We decided we were getting married, and I mean I'd love to talk more about that as well. Um, we decided we were getting married, and we decided to then make the honeymoon our traveling as well uh-huh. and our break. Okay, so we stepped uh, out of Comsov, got married 11th of Jan and uh, then departed for honeymoon on the 13th of January 2020 and we did two months of traveling overseas and we could yeah because you you save during internship and concert you've got a little nest egg and then you've got no job responsibilities and when do you actually have that never mm. you'll never have the opportunity to just go off and travel for two months and you would have been in your late 20s this is the time now to maximize career you, know, you, you you can walk 30,000 steps through the, the cities and you exactly. can enjoy the sights. And without, without, you know, checking your phone and wondering when I get back home, how many calls do I have to do to make up for wow. the leave that I took? You know, because, because one thing about, about us as doctors is, um, you know, the work that you have to do when you get back is always in your mind. Yes. And particularly how leave is structured in many hospitals, that you have to do your overtime, um, it's, it's problematic <laughs> because you're never able to completely detach. Um, anyway, so then that, that afforded us that opportunity. And when we got back, we said, we're not going to stress about what happens when we get back. We're just going to get back and see what we can do. Should I go on? Yeah. Okay. Because okay. so, uh, uh, where I'm leading now is, I mean, you, you currently have a job and Amy currently has a job. Yes. So, so somewhere between unemployed right. okay, so and we, now, we, we, we're tying, we're tying up the, the links yes, here. Yes. And, uh, okay. So got back You weren't from, unemployed forever. No. no. <laughs> So we got back from from our two months of of honeymoon slash traveling because that was important to us. We wanted to see the world. And we arrived back just before level five lockdown got enforced in South Africa. Oh, hectic. So we we got off the plane and the military was there with their thermometers. And one week later, level five was enforced. And that was when the world shut down. Sure. Um, I I mean, it's it's a bit of a distant memory for everyone now because we're now on the sort of tail end. If I can say that, um, take that with a pinch of salt. But we where everything was just closed. Travel was just not an option. Um, you know, borders were closed and we had just, just finished our traveling and then that happened, which, which made the traveling especially significant for us. Then we had to find jobs. And this is, this is a deeply uncomfortable position because I think as doctors, we're so used to having employment provided. I know now currently not everyone gets placements. Yeah. That's an aside, but generally speaking, your employment is dictated to you. You've got the two years set out as interns. You've got the year set out as a comm servant. Those are three years of guaranteed employment. Mm. Now for the first time in your life. You have to go for an interview. And you're sitting unemployed. Yeah. 
<laughs> you have to compile a CV which you haven't done in years and, and because there was no need for it. Never done before, and it's it's deeply uncomfortable because now you have to compile a document, sort of advertising yourself, and you have to say why you're good, and you don't really know why you're better than the next doctor because you've all done the same thing. Yeah. Why am I better than the person? Who's, who's done the same amount of time as me, who's got the same clinical exposure as me. So it, it was a very uncomfortable experience trying to do that, that whole CV process as well. You have to deal with lots of rejection. Um, we, we spread our CVs quite wide, um, you know, we're quite uh, creative with where we applied and everything. And, and I mean, you, you get a lot of rejection. Well, sometimes you just don't, yeah. yeah. I mean, but you also do get a lot of rejection letters. Were you, were you applying in private and public mm. hospitals? Mm. So, and, and where were you finding uh, that posts were advertised? Were they advertised on the internet? Were they in magazines? Mm. Were they mm. newsletters? Right. I mean, do you open the back of the Star newspaper and the classifieds, they say, looking for yeah, yeah so so we we decided to go with digital advertisements and we primarily use linkedin and um linkedin is a bit of a mess when it comes to career applications because i feel like you apply for some of them and they just don't sort of go through it just feels like there's so many applications is yours actually being checked sure. anyway but we use linkedin and through linkedin and a lot of persistence mm -hmm. and a lot of applications you have to be relentless you have to be relentless and you cannot be discouraged. Uh, we eventually got into private um, because the state cycles didn't really lend themselves to, to getting a post in March because you have, yes. your, you have your, your two yearly sort of applications in, in, in state. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we eventually found our way into private. I did GP work and I signed as a partner at a GP practice. Um, Amy got into ED and she did a long stint in private ED. And um, I, I mean, I have a lot to say on that as well. It was incredibly tough for her. It's an incredibly demanding position. Um, private EDs tend to be businesses. They are businesses at the end of the day. And that means your staffing decisions are also made with that in mind. So she was often the only person on the floor. Um, and when the shift gets busy, the buck stops with you. Yeah. You are responsible for everything that comes into that ED. And if you're wow. working in a busy ED like, like she did, um, it's exhausting. And I mean, she did, she did ED shift six days a week, 12 hours a day uh, for many months. And it was wonderful when eventually we could step out of that and she could go back into state. I thoroughly enjoyed the GP work. I think my personality lends itself to being able to talk to people and discuss because a lot of being a GP is just having a chat, you know, not, not this rigidly defined question and answer session, but rather just being able to have a chat with someone and hear what's up. Um, I ended up departing from that post, not because of job dissatisfaction, but rather just COVID didn't lend itself to establishing a new practice. Your walk-ins uh, at that stage were so far and few in between because of the lockdowns that it wasn't really viable to continue there. I cast my net a bit wider. I've always had a bit of interest in public health uh, and looked towards research. Was very fortunate to get a research post uh, at WITS and am very happy there and have been working there now for over a year already. Oh, tremendous. Yeah. Okay, so, that, yeah, so we've tied the, the little tails together. Then. Right. So we kind of know where you are at currently. At the moment. Um, and now I, I want to bring your social media presence into the conversation at some point maybe during COVID you yeah. had this brainwave to start making reels and get a little bit more active on Instagram was that an intentional thing of like I want to be a medfluencer an educator mm. or was it just a creative outlet during lockdown mm. great so, so I think you, both, both things you've mentioned there are, are actually quite pertinent um, I think it was a creative outlet as well. I do like making stuff. You know, whether it's clips, whether it's videos, whether it's showing people the new gadget that I got um, or, or giving recommendations on something that I've really enjoyed or that I really enjoy using or that's a really good product. And, and um, then as you say, there's, there's a part of me that also just enjoys sharing advice <laughs> and helping people avoid pitfalls and maybe encouraging a little bit. Mm. Uh, so I think I think the encouragement also factors into into it a lot because it's it's 
quite a negative field um, often, yes. you know, uh, and we, we as doctors tend to be very negative overall. Um, and, and I'm not saying there isn't reason to be. Sure, there's more than enough reason with, with everything that's happening right now to be negative, but it's not always great when that's the only flavor of the conversation that yeah. we have. Agree, agree you know? Um, and and we tend to we tend to through through being negative all the time really to to make that our reality more than it needs to be. I think the what you said there is so um, personal the way that you say it, our words shape our reality. Yeah. Because if we talk about how bad the public health system is, yes, our patients will come in already with that view that they're going to get substandard care or that yep. that things are going to be awful, yep. and so they look at their doctor thinking this doctor doesn't really care about me or, mm. or these nurses aren't doing a good job you know um, yeah. and that's why we need to kind of guard and protect yes um, our profession protect yes. although we are working in a strained system although Very we are much. often working in a resource limited system yeah although we are working in a system where people have unrealistic expectations yeah. oftentimes uh, you know they come with a problem that they've had for five years and they want it fixed in three days and this yep. me home yep. right um, and people want to take a pill instead of taking diet advice and exercise <laughs> programs. And I mean, what is lifestyle modification? Right? <laughs> I just want third line straight away. 100%. With all of that, yeah. if we are constantly talking about how exhausting calls are yeah. and this difficult patients and, oh my gosh, the hospital is a mess, we create that reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you've touched on two important points. And number one, we generate public perspective. On, on the hospitals, okay? Social media is an open book. And and the public goes on social media and they see what doctors post. And, they, and because you have DR in front of your name, yes. it gives you an authority. Yes, yes. And, 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 and people look at what doctors post. So, so what doctors speak to on social media is assimilated by the public, okay? So, I mean, that's a, another conversation that we need to have about how, how you need to be very... A pragmatic, or not pragmatic, very discerning mm. about what you post on social media because way more people are seeing that information and absorbing that information than what you ever realize. Yes. And number two, uh, apart from public perception of, on facilities, we influence each other's attitudes and how we arrive on, on shift. What energy are we bringing to shift? Come on. And, and so often that energy is not great because of conversations that we have each other with each other that are, that are not that positive. Now, I'm not advocating for, for, for toxic positivity at all. I'm advocating for measured and practical discussions around what's wrong with the system, but also still keeping each other going. You need to, we need to keep each other going. Yeah. The, system is, the system is terrible. It yeah. is terrible. Fine. We know this. But, but we have to keep each other going as well. And if we just speak to negativity the whole time, it, it's going to be all that's there and you're going to miss everything else that is potentially valuable and good about yeah. the job. Because there is still good stuff. All the negative stuff doesn't take away the positives of your job. I think um, shared experience is so valuable because every donkey feels that their load is the heaviest, <laughs> right? So everyone thinks they're the only one going through these tough calls and feeling exhausted and that their feet hurt and yeah. I haven't had a wee in six hours. Yeah. But when you talk with your colleagues and you realize that we're all in this together, hopefully that, that builds some kind of cohesion, builds some kind of, a, um, I don't know if it's shared trauma or what, um, but we should unite around this um, to build one another up, like yeah. you say, to strengthen one another up. Yeah. And anyone can point out faults, mm. but when you decide to unite to come up with solutions, you'll be amazed at what you can do, even if it's as simple as reorganizing the ward stockroom yeah. so that you can find what you need. You might yeah. be surprised. There's tons of pink and blue gel coats behind those boxes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or, you know, under the linen savers, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Okay, so that's kind of um, where I wanted to go with Instagram and social media. Um, are, were you surprised at how quickly you gained followers? Because you have thousands yeah, of people so, tuning in now. So, yeah, it, I mean, I think my situation is is maybe not the most organic growth either. Um, so, you know, you, you read online about what you should do with your account. And a lot okay. of people say, um, or everyone really says you need to find your niche. Okay. Um, you know, and, and for me, it's been a particular challenge finding a niche because, sure, medicine is one part of me and, and one aspect of my life, but it's not the only aspect of my life. You know, and now to have an account that's exclusively medicine is also just like, 
a bit difficult for me because yeah, there's but so yours, many. Yours isn't. Excuse no, it's not. There's coffee. There's yeah, your, yeah. Your CrossFit now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the reels, the reels came about as as me being a bit of a prankster. I've always loved being a bit of like a practical joker and a prankster. And you don't find an outlet for that in in adult life much because everything is just very serious and people get so sensitive when they're the butt of a joke yeah so so i mean the reels are a bit of like just a bit of fun and a bit of an outlet and uh i mean if you manage to go viral with one of your reels you tend to get followers quickly the issue with that though is it's not organic growth okay it's it's one sort of takeoff item that then generates a lot of followers who are not necessarily tuned into exactly what your brand is um, so, I mean, part of this is organic growth. Part of it, I think, is, is uh, you know, uh, one or two reels that have gone viral. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess, you mustn't overthink it too much. And you've kind of just got to keep posting what you want to post. as That's opposed your to, account. Yeah, as opposed to what you think people want. Um, but but it's, it's, uh, it can be quite time-consuming yes. um, running, running something like this. And you often just have to gauge... Is the time coming from your day spent investing in this worth, you know, the time that you could have been spending with person X, spouse, Y, and Z yeah. with your spouse, yeah. you know, um, going out for walks in the park. With Has the it ever generated tensions? Mm, definitely, okay. definitely. I mean... Um, and then what did you just pull back a bit for a couple of weeks? Yeah, so you have to reassess. And, and I mean, like I said before, I'm, I'm maybe not the best person at taking criticism either. So... So, you know, hearing from your spouse that you're on your phone a lot um, is, is and, and when it's true, it, it's even more difficult to sort of accept it. <laughs> then you've got to kind of reassess and be like, cool, um, this is maybe a problem. And I do need to maybe define more rigidly times of the day when I'm generating content and planning content and when I'm responding to things. But I don't think that's, that's only limited to your experience with social media. It can be anything. Yes. You know, somebody sure. could have an obsessive Lego building habit and... No, fine. You know, somebody will say, can you please just put the bricks down and they may mm. play jewels. Mm. <laughs> so um, we have seen over the last few, few weeks, you've been posting a little bit more about... Mm. Uh, internship and junior doctor time. Yeah. One of the, the themes that came up was um, about the dangers of glamorizing medicine as mm. a career. Mm. Now, uh, I think being in medicine, you know a lot more than the general public, and the general public um, mm. has some misconceptions based on Hollywood rendering and 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 the appetite that the general public has for drama, mm. uh, medical dramas and things. Mm does make um, the, the, the shows a little bit uh, fanciful and, yeah. and not true to life. I mean, when we watch medical dramas, we're like, no, that's not true. That wouldn't happen. You wouldn't have you know, would, a show like New Amsterdam. You know, the, the paramedics crash through the doors and they're already telling you the, the handover. And the first person at the scene is yeah. the cardiothoracic surgeon. What's yeah. he doing in the ED? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so what's, what do you think about this whole topic of glamorizing medicine as a career choice. Mm. Um, you mentioned that as a doctor, you, you like to teach, you like to educate. Um, we know that the word doctor comes from this area to teach. Um, what can we do to rightly frame medicine as a career? Mm. Um, I, I think I'm being a little bit all over with this question. So yeah, I, think I, I think I understand the flavor of what you're asking, though. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to do my best to sort of address the various little points that you've, that you've mentioned now. I don't want to throw too much at you because yeah. you know, you, this is just something that has come up. And I think you've, you've started the conversation right. and put it on the wall for others to right. add their little points. Right, right. Um, so, so, I mean, let's, let's start with, with just what you first spoke about, and that's glamorizing medicine. And I think it's, it's a job as well, you know. It's, it's a deeply meaningful job. It's a rewarding job, but it's a job, you know. And I think part of, part of the whole issue that we have is that people confuse being a doctor with their identity. It is part of, I guess, to some extent of who you are because you are serving people and you enjoy medicine. But it doesn't change the fact that you're still a person. Yeah. And um, I think mm, medicine has sort of been glamorized because traditionally, I, I've got to really be careful how I phrase this, but traditionally, sometimes doctors have regarded themselves as being of an elevated position in society based on the profession. And, and 
such thinking and such notions are very dangerous because your inherent worth as an individual isn't more based on your job, okay? And, and I think so many doctors have perhaps had this notion of inherent worth being higher just based on profession that they've sort of portrayed this as the thing mm. to do and the public has latched onto that. Mm. Now, I mean, I, I can't reference specific historical events where this has happened, but I mean, if you look back... Um, you know, let's say 50 years, mm -hmm. um, doctors were the, yeah. the authority, yeah. you know, and you would never question a doctor and what the doctor says goes and so on. And But even it happens now in advertising, nine mm -hmm. out of 10 dentists agree that this is the best right. toothpaste. Right. For, fortunately now, I think the public's a bit more informed and they, they know that doctors are normal humans mm -hmm. with their own set of issues that they have to grapple with. You know, yeah. we're not some different, you know, class. Um, and, and that glamorizing, that notion of medicine being the pinnacle, I think came sort of from that. It's, it's like I said, it's a, it's a profession. It's, there's a lot of value in it, um, but it's still, a, it's still a profession, you know, um, and, and nothing makes it more important than any other profession. And it's, it's a difficult job. It's, it's uh, an, an exhausting job. The hours are not ideal. And there's a lot of personal cost. And the only way that you sort of get a real idea of what medicine is and you, you see through that veneer, you, sadly for us, I think, is, is once you're actually working in internship. Yes. You, have no, you have no concept of what it costs to be yes. a doctor until you've started working as a doctor. And I don't think even job shadowing could, could give that to you because you only spend a day or two doing job shadowing. It doesn't speak to the week or the month in that rotation. And the doctor wants to obviously put their best foot forward during right, the day. Right. We all we all at our hearts have a slightly narcissistic streak. Yes. You know, we we post our best moments, our best selfie. Absolutely. On social media. Absolutely. And and, uh, and social media draws that out. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I think the to 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 say how you would how you would orientate yourself and get a good idea of what medicine is like uh, there isn't really a way until you've actually been working in it but but what you're doing here with this platform um you know and perhaps um, chatting to people getting just candid views on the field is a great way to and do it and a variety it. of because, yes uh, that's important to, that's to, important to get people one on one where they don't have uh, departmental pressures right they don't have their peers kind of like looking, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you saying there? Absolutely. You know, where they're open to share their view. And it is, I mean, all of the specialists that we've had on, their views are separate from Precisely. their departmental roles, Precisely. teaching roles. It's their experience. It's their path in medicine. And, and, and what you've mentioned here is, is crucially important. I'm going to go back to internship and conserve now as well. Sure. You've said multiple perspectives. You need to talk to more than one person. My views are not universally true and not universally correct. I have my view and my experiences. So you need to get advice and perspective from lots of different people. Do the work of talking to different people. And then from all of those opinions that you've gotten and those views that you've gotten, you can then make your own. Yes. You can make your own conclusions. So our previous guests on this podcast have all been specialists. Mm. And, and one of the goals of this podcast was to unpack what the specialities are mm. about. Mm. Uh, the road, uh, you know, when to do primaries, uh, what diplomas will gain you an yeah. advantage to, to right. get a reg post that. And <laughs> I mentioned that I kind of see you as the anti-specialist, and that's a bit of an unfair monitor. <laughs> 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 Sorry for that. But you no, have, you, you and other people. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it before. You've, yeah. you've been outspoken in, in saying that you don't have to specialize. Yes. Even though everyone says, what are you going to specialize in? That's, a, that's the wrong approach. Yeah. So, what are your views? I mean, are you interested in specialising one day, mm. or are you just kind of mm. on pause for now? Yeah. What's What's your view there? Great, great. And and I mean, I love that you've brought up the word anti-specialist. Many many people on social media have have uh, you know gone gone into my DMs and said, "Yes, Rob, what's wrong with you? You know, are you are you um, anti-specialist? Why are you so against specialising?" And I think, in fairness, I I'm not opposed to specialising. I think the view of specializing is so commonly held as the only career trajectory that doctors have that when someone speaks out often about there being other career paths and specializing not being the only way, it seems as if they're anti-specialist when in fact they're just speaking to the fact that there is another route. There are other options available. And, and this is the reality. As an intern, 
for two years, you are taught by? Specialists. Specialists. Only specialists. Yeah. Only specialists and registrars. Okay. As a commissary, if you're in a tertiary facility, you are taught by only specialists. You are never, in your three years, taught by researchers. You are never taught by GPs. You are never given alternative life exposure other than that of a specialist. And I feel it's just very important to speak to the fact that there's something else out there. There's, there's alternative routes. And I like to sometimes kick against what is held as conventional. People is it that prankster mentality? I think so. I think, I think it's that, that sort of dynamic. It's your natural gifting. Yeah. Right? You, you spot something that you want to see, you want to push the boundaries and say, like, is exactly. this a firmly established thing and why? Precisely. And when, when you have so many people around you and you just see them um, suffering under the pressure of having to carve out a very narrow career in medicine and, and this was sort of put onto them by the fraternity, you kind of like, listen, there's another way. And having you, to make a decision, sorry to cut you off, yeah. there, having to make a decision at age 27, 28 exactly. about what you're going to do for the next 50 years. Exactly. So, so I, don't, I don't like seeing people pressured and, and forced into a narrow, a narrow lane and not being aware of anything else. You have to speak to the fact that there's other options. And I mean, I, I am an absolute um, lover of anesthetics and psychiatry. Cool. Those, those were my two... Slightly two different roles yeah. because one, they're very much asleep and one, they're very much awake. Yes, precisely. <laughs> yeah, like two, two opposite ends, you know. Um, and and the, the two, those two fields for me are spectacular. I love them to bits. Uh -huh. And, um, and uh, I... I genuinely entertained specializing um, in either of those two at a stage. Um, but, but you know, like, like we've been speaking about, it's about what's personally important to you as well, what your goals are and what your priorities are in life mm. at, the, at, the t at the space that you're in. And, and I mean, you do the sums, you have the conversations and the commitment, the commitment is great. So if you're gonna jump into something like that, you need to be well, versed in what you're signing up for and I mean as we've said the only way you know that is by speaking to people yeah. um, so so I mean just to to summarize a bit I, I would say definitely not anti-specialist but also very pro speaking to other fields being out there other career paths being out there as well yes. yeah. yeah so okay now uh, I want you to be the big brother and yeah. give some advice to junior doctors that are coming after. Yeah. Um, maybe some leading questions to think about. If you go back to your junior doctor days, um, what would you have changed mm. about the way that you did internship? Right. It's, it's difficult to, to reflect um, on two years and to identify isolated things that you would change. I, I think probably then saying what are specific events that I would change? I'd probably maybe speak to mindset. Mm -hmm. I would love to have imparted the knowledge early on that it's not just about academics. Mm -hmm. um, imparted to yourself? To myself, oh, okay. yeah. To myself or to anyone who's, yeah. who's, who's currently stepping into internship. Sure. Um, they're, they're, it's not just about the academics and the, the medical skill alone. Holistic development is so important and we tend to completely neglect holistic development. Our other spheres of the, the unis that is you, you know, get, get completely sort of put by the wayside simply to serve um, your job. So and what were some of the things that you put on hold that you, in, in hindsight, you're like, gosh, I should have done more? I mean, just, just developing creative outlets and hobbies okay. and, and activities for rest in general because because these are sometimes things that you don't just have, they're also things that you learn, you know, and that you have to develop. Um, and I think a lot of us just don't learn what we love to do in our free time because we never have free time. So fine, that's not a practical thing that you don't necessarily have time, but be cognizant in that time already of the fact that you're a multifaceted human and that there's, there's a lot of you beyond medicine that needs feeding. Because, because once you're done with internship and commserve, mm -hmm. You, you're going to have a lot more time with yourself. Yeah. There's not going to be the job to occupy your every waking moment. And it gets uncomfortable when... The music around us is so suspicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, not having that job occupying 
uh, 24 hours of your day yeah. leaves you leaves you sometimes very uncomfortable realizing that you're not as developed as you thought you were. Sure. There's, there's deficiencies. There's yeah. a lot of deficiencies. Yeah. And I think I, I would love to speak to my younger self about that and just change the mindset. Yeah. You know? Terrific answer. I think that's great. Yeah. What was a big deal for you during your junior years? Was there any event or any anything that you can think of that seemed like such a big deal that now in high school, eh, wasn't, wasn't a stretch? Mm-hmm. So how, how people treat you. Um, okay. Because we tend to internalize or take to heart a lot how seniors treat us. Because we regard seniors, we regard seniors as the people. Because it doesn't matter. At that point, you're not thinking about what's this person going through. Did they have a bad day? Are they struggling with their studies? Did the consultant chew them out? Yeah. You just receive behavior from them, which is which is sometimes negative. And then you think that you're a terrible person and you've done a terrible job, and you you hit rock bottom because of. Um, those things, whatever, or behaviors that are, are, you know, exhibited to you. And and it isn't such a big deal. Yeah. Retro, retrospectively now, you realize humans have bad days and you shouldn't take to heart necessarily yeah. when someone uh, reactively responds to you or says something mean to you. Let, let that be water off your back. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think that's such a terrific answer. And yeah. And that correction and the way that we respond to correction is part of character development. Mm. It's part of learning as an intern. Mm. Um, I think it's also important for our seniors to learn how to correct without condemning someone. Sure. You know, in, in language and, and body language and mm. things like that. Um, and how to maybe also to humble somebody without humiliating them. Exactly. You know, somebody yeah. does need to be reined in a yeah. moment. Um, but it's a sense of maturity that sure. we need to develop that we understand. I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier where being a doctor is not our end all and be all. It's not yes. all of our identity. Exactly. That we realize that we are more as human beings than just our profession. Yeah. And, and I mean, I love that you've touched on, on correction as well because because you you aren't going to be perfect as an intern. The whole point of the entire two years is for you to learn. Okay. And the mindset needs to change from being a perfect medical student getting the grades and, and doing well in every test and assessment and the consultants being so happy with you as a student to I am now in a brand new environment and I'm learning. So if a registrar or another doctor or a consultant corrects me, that's great because it means that I'm learning something that I didn't know before. So, so the correction shouldn't be seen as you being a failure. It should be seen as being part of internship because that's your two years. That's so good. Yeah. Okay, so um, do you have any top tips or tricks? Any uh, was Rob known for anything particular during internship? I don't know if it was pranks, <laughs> <laughs> but did you have any uh, any special techniques for finding that elusive vein that wants to jump out the way? Oh uh, right, uh, right. It doesn't have to be putting in drips. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I was I was particularly gifted at any at any clinical skill. Um, I would say probably, I guess this still f- feeds into, into being advice. Yeah. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's okay to be lighthearted. You know, okay. you're, allowed, you're allowed to not be serious sometimes and you shouldn't take yourself too seriously. And, and I, tried to, I tried to, on the days that I wasn't, you know, in, in, into call 32 hours where I had a bit of risk to, to be a little more lighthearted, to be yeah. a little friendlier, you know. From time to time, you're allowed to make jokes with patients. They they enjoy that as well. You know, the, your interactions don't all have to be serious and somber and solemn. You yes. know, no wonderful. You're 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 a human, cool. okay? And and patients patients also want to be, or rather, want to forget sometimes that they're in the hospital by just having a good chat with another human. Yeah. You know, so so allow yourself. To, to be a bit candid sometimes, to be a bit frivolous yeah. sometimes, yeah. Um, you know, and don't take yourself too seriously because I think a big problem with doctors in general is we take ourselves too seriously. And um, it comes from the heart of wanting to do well by our patients and, you know, yeah. wanting to not be corrected for making mistakes yeah. and all of that. Um, one of the, just thinking on this, one of the funny things that I do with patients that have difficult veins uh, you know, when the, when the tourniquet is on and you're looking for a vein, um, 
you know, let's say I've, I've poked the patient now and I've struggled to get a, a lineup. Yeah. I'll say to the patient, you know, my dear, it's okay. Um, you know, you can either have good veins or a good pe- personality, but not both. <laughs> and then the, the patient feels like, they, you know, I'm a good person. Then, Absolutely. You know? uh, Absolutely. Yes. Like that, and that's uplifting. People, yeah. For people. You know, and, and my conversation starter is always, um, so I, I actually have a, a phobia of needles. What? Uh, yeah. So. Do you have any tattoos? No. Okay. Because of the fear? Yeah, largely. Okay. Largely. I mean, I've, I've been entertaining the idea of getting a tattoo for a while. And I mean, you'll see my, my Instagram messages as well. My, my one friend has the most gorgeous tattoos and I've been asking him a lot about it. And, and the conversation always ends up with the needle yeah. and, and how sore it is. And then it ends there, you know, and, and whenever I'm drawing blood from patients, you know, I'll always relate to them how, how scared I am of needles. And then they're absolutely shocked, you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is not just me. Well, at least the needle's pointing the other way. So, so precisely. <laughs> so I, I tell them, look, I'm generally okay when it's pointing the other way, but when it's pointing at me, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally like a, I don't know what to call it, like a, a vasovagal response where I, really? I get cold, I get sweaty, yeah. um, and um, I, I often faint. What? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a crippling fear, and, and I'll often just relate that tale to patients and tell them, look, I mean, you're doing a lot better than I would have been under the same circumstances. Oh. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's reached the point where I only allow my wife to draw blood on me um, because I don't trust anyone else to do it. That's so interesting. And even when she does, she has to, like, hold my hand and, like... Lock yeah. your brow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a cold perspiration running down your forehead. So, so I'm a big baby when it comes to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Final, final part. This has been a really, really fun episode. It's been a little bit more lighthearted and jokey right. than, than usual, which is great. So I think the podcast badly needs it. <laughs> I think medicine needs it. So I think we all need it. Um, right. So here's some quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, uh, just the first thing that comes into your mind, okay? Sure. NGT or lumbar puncture? To do what? NGT. Casualty or clinic? Clinic. Weeknight call or weekend call? Weeknight. Rugby or cricket? Rugby. Locum or only your own practice? Locum. Surgery or internal medicine? Surgery. And then final thing, to not eat the whole call or to not drink the whole call? To not drink the whole call. So you'd rather eat but not drink? Absolutely. Yeah. I love you too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did very well. I think you passed. You got full marks for that still. But thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I think that's just through candid answers and just you being on the podcast, you have answered a lot of questions that people would have. People might not even have known the questions that they would like to get answered to. And when you share your experience and you share the decision-making process, I think that you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you so, so much for speaking out to our audience, uh, sacrificing your Saturday morning to be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Rob. Um, and, and I mean, thanks for the platform. Stuff, stuff like this is so important, just, just chatting around issues like this. And I would encourage uh, anyone who listens to this to, to message Dr. Coffey, you know, with, with additional questions. We, we love engagement, you know. Um, our, our accounts are built around engagement. And I think for us, it's so fulfilling to engage with you. So, so please do message out to Dr. Coffey if you're wondering about anything or if you perhaps have ideas for another podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you know of a consultant or senior registrar in a specialty that you would like featured on the Dr. Coffee podcast, please get in touch. The podcast's email address is drcoffeeza at gmail.com. That's drcoffeeza with no punctuation marks. We're also on Instagram and YouTube with the username at drcoffeeza. If you've got anything else on your mind, such as a request for additional topics, further information on how to engage with our guests, feedback on the show, or anything else, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. The Dr. Coffee Podcast is brand new, with freshly brewed new episodes each week on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please consider sharing this episode with fellow junior doctors and medical students in your world who you think would benefit from the content and enjoy. Thank you so much for your support.